Thanks for listening to this audio sermon from the pulpit of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. You can learn more about us by visiting our website, www.covenant-pca.com. For our guests this morning, uh, indulge me a moment, members, while I give them an idea of what we've been doing over the past several weeks. We uh, began several weeks ago looking at the doctrine of vows, what it means to take a vow. Is it biblical to take a vow? The conclusion of Scripture is that it is. We looked at in the context of vows that vows are appropriate for church folks and, and particularly are important for us in our being members. Membership in a church is a biblical concept. It's not something that should be relegated to some old-fashioned way of doing things, but rather it's biblical, and so it, it transcends times and cultures. And so in believing that, we've been looking uh, at the scriptures that support the five membership vows that PCA members take, and, uh, and seeing that each of those vows are solidly grounded in the Holy Scriptures. And so we have great responsibility as members, when we take those vows, God says it's better to not vow than to vow and not pay the vow. There's serious consequences, as we've seen, for not paying the vow, not keeping our word, in other words. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And when you don't, then God has to deal with that in a just manner. We then, concluding those five membership vows, moved to the five vows that, or the six vows rather, that the offices of the church are required to take in order to hold the office of elder and deacon in the Presbyterian Church in America and in this local congregation. We looked uh, last week in that general survey of those six vows as it pertained to the elders. This week we'll do that as it pertains to the diaconate, to men who would serve as deacons in Christ's church. So that's where we are. Last week we saw the elders as the shepherds of the souls of God's people. This week we'll see the deacons as ministers to the saints. I'll just give you a brief word on that. Someone may say, wow, you know, I didn't think deacons were ministers. I thought the pastor was the minister. Well, what you find when you look at the New Testament is that in fact every member of Christ's church is to be a minister one to another. We are to minister to one another. That's part of the communion of saints. Consider how we may stimulate or stir up one another to loving good deeds. That's ministry on a very general level. Then, yes, elders are to minister to you, to your souls. They're to serve your souls. Deacons are also to minister to the saints. They're to minister to all the physical needs of the saints. And so we ought not to draw false dichotomies with that word minister and understand that there's a sense in which we all minister to one another. There's specific ways in which elders minister and which deacons minister. Now that does not mean that, well, because we're all supposed to be servants, ministers, then that means we're all deacons. No. The Bible distinguishes between the offices of the church and those who are not officers of the church. And that's the order that God has put in His church, not 
that elders would lord it over the people. First Peter shows us, we saw last week, but they lead by example, lovingly, kindly, gently. Deacons likewise. We're going to see next week as we wrap this up the vow that the congregation takes. The vow that you took when men were ordained to the office of elder or deacon. You said that you would encourage them, that you'd support them, that you'd obey them. And we'll look at that next week as we wrap up this whole series concerning the vows that we take as Christians in this church from time to time. Today, specifically dealing with the deacons, ministers to the saints, I want us to begin by thinking, thinking very holistically. Salvation. Let's go all the way to salvation. Salvation, as we've seen before, salvation is a total work on the part of God. When I say total work, what I mean by that is when God saves a man, He saves him in body and soul. Not just soul. To do the social gospel thing and just be concerned about the physical needs of people is error. And if you call that the gospel, that's heresy. To sin on the other side and say that the gospel is just about saving the soul of man. That's error. And if you say that's the only gospel, that is heresy. The gospel is, and salvation is, that God saves us in our totality. He's not just concerned about saving a soul, a spirit that's trapped in this terrible matter, to go back and use old, bad Greek philosophy. He doesn't just, he's not concerned about, about eradicating the, 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 the flesh, getting the flesh away and taking some special little soul down inside of this old wicked matter and, and getting it back to its original goodness. That's not what God's about. God's about saving our soul and saving our body. And if that's not the case, then the New Testament teaching on the centrality of the resurrection makes no sense. The resurrection is central to the gospel. And what's the resurrection all about? Is that about the soul being raised? No. The soul upon death goes to be present with the Lord. The resurrection is about the body, isn't it? Christ's body being raised first as the first fruits, as the guarantee, as the reminder to us when we grow weary in this world and when we see loved ones go to the grave, there's going to be a day of resurrection. There will be a time when that body will be raised. It will be glorified, no longer uh, bedraggled with, with, with the effects of sin, no more cancer, no more leukemia, no more colds, no more you name it. No more bad knees. No more bad elbows. I just looked at Betsy Farquhar and I reminded that her dad is an associate pastor at Briarwood in Birmingham. And there for those many years, our dear brother Frank Barker ministered faithfully. And I know how much Frank loves to play tennis and how at times... He's complained of his elbow hurting, and I couldn't help but think when I said elbow that Frank won't have any more hurting elbows. He can play tennis. If there's tennis in heaven, I'm, 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 I'll, I'll leave that alone. But I know there will be baseball, but tennis I'm not. <clears throat> because 
It's on a dime, and God made diamonds. Anyway. Be no more of that because of the resurrection of the body. Now, that's what salvation is in a capsule. God saving us. And by the way, a note of, of encouragement to you. When you talk to your, your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues about Christ and about salvation, please, 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 yes, talk to them about the forgiveness of sins and that guilt can be taken away from them. But talk to them about the resurrection of the body. Do you understand that there are a number of religions that, that try to talk about forgiveness of sins and somehow God just arbitrarily wiping out sins. But we're the only one, A, that gets the forgiveness part fully and rightly stated, but we're the only ones that talk about the resurrection of the body. We're the only ones that offer people a resurrection hope. Don't forget that. Don't forget the whole gospel when you tell people the gospel. It's not just about forgiveness of sins, but it's about the resurrection of the body as well. A body that will be free from sin. No more mourning. No more crying. No more hurting. Well, that's salvation. That's what Christ earned for his people. That's what the Holy Spirit applies to us. But then isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful that God gave us a church, a family, the household of faith, where that salvation is portrayed. It's placarded before us all the time. You say, well, I'm not sure I follow that. Well, here we go. I want you to follow it. The church is not only made up of those saved by God, but it's, it's made up... For those saved by God. The church is for us. It's not just made up of us, but it's for us. It's for us. We proclaim the good news. We proclaim the forgiveness of sins. We proclaim the resurrection. And then the church exemplifies the redemption. The full redemption. We saw this last week. The elders... When we think elders, we think of the shepherds of the souls. We think of the men who are the spiritual leaders of the church. We think of the men who, in Acts 6, the, the apostle says we need deacons so that the apostles and, the, and the, the descendants, the natural descendants of the apostles are the elders of the church. We're the ordinary office of that extraordinary office of apostle. The elders are committed to prayer and ministry of the word. What does that leave for the deacons? That leaves everything else for the deacons. Elders concentrate on the means of grace, prayer, ministry of the word. Out of the ministry of the word flows the sacraments and church discipline. So the means of grace are all in the hands of the elders. Everything else is in the hands of the deacons. The office of deacon is no small office. It's a great office. It's an office of great responsibility. So it requires men, great men, godly men, as we'll see in just a moment. God's given us offices that exemplify salvation, both soul cared for by the elders and body cared for by the deacons. That's why it's important for you 
as members of this church to recognize the diaconal responsibility of helping you in times of need. Whatever that physical need is, you need to let them know so that, see, when you don't let the deacons know and there's the opportunity for the deacons to do for you, to exercise their gifts of compassion and their gifts of caring and their gifts of mercy, when you don't let them know and they don't have the opportunity to exercise those gifts, guess what? God's gospel, God's gospel of saving soul and body is robbed of some expression. You see why it's important as members of the body of Christ that we consider how to stir up one another to loving good deeds. That means not only that the elders and deacons are supposed to be actively considering how to stir up one another to loving good deeds, stir you up, stir me up, but also you're supposed to be considering how to stir the deacons up to love and good deeds, how to stir the elders up to loving good deeds. And that simply sometimes will take a phone call and say, I've fallen and I can't get up. I need someone. I want to give the deacons the opportunity to express the gospel as it pertains to the physical body. You see how important that is? We want the gospel. Think about how this unfolds. I haven't even got to the text. This is all intro. Hang on here a minute. Think about how this works, how beautiful this works. That when you consider how to stir up a deacon to love and good deeds, and that deacon or those deacons, those deacons and their wives, deacons and others that they may help gather around them to help you with the situation, think about the opportunity that then gives you to tell your lost neighbor, look what my church did for me. Look at them living the gospel, caring for the body and the soul of the people. Easy opportunity for you to turn that into, into, a, into a cheerleading session for the church and for Christ and for the good news. Now, you see then how important the office is. Three brief points today, and I'm going to next week come back to both elder and deacon and look at some of these specific qualifications. But today, three general points. The first is this. Because of the importance of the deacon, you see in this passage that deacons are ministers to the physical needs of the church. This is seen in the title itself, deacon. It's translated sometimes serve, as in this very passage, verse 10. And let them also be tested first, and then let them serve as deacons. If you want, a, if you want a, just a wooden translation, it would be let them deacon as deacons. Let them serve as deacons. It can be translated let them minister as deacons. But you get the point. The office of deacon is one of service, one of ministry. Christ himself, and we've seen this in recent weeks and in our study of Mark in the evening worship context, Jesus said, I did not come to to be served, but to serve. Deacons are here to serve. And I'm so thankful that we have deacons 
who are willing and able and obviously gifted to serve the Lord in the, in the capacity to which he's called them and for which he's required much of them. Caring for the physical needs of the church is, is, is portrayed before us every week when we, when we see a portion of our deacons come down and collect the offerings, the, the monetary gifts of the church. Then they go out and they then disperse those funds as it's been determined by the session for the distribution of those funds. And what are those monies taken care of? They're taking care of the physical needs, whether it be of this building, of missionaries, of the pastor, of church members who are in need, the physical needs of individuals and of this church corporately are being met through those. So every Sunday when you see the deacons gather and you hear one of them pray and you see them collecting the offerings and then going out to disperse those offerings, you're reminded that they're concerned about the physical needs, serving the physical (laughs) needs of the church. This is corroborated in Acts chapter 6 where those original seven deacons were ordained to serve tables, to serve tables. And as I said earlier, to do everything else that was needed to be done in the church because the apostles were to carry on the ministry of prayer and word. So deacons are ministers to the physical needs of the church. Consider how you might encourage them that way this week. Second thing I want you to see is that deacons are exemplary servant leaders. Deacons are exemplary servant leaders. You see this in verse 10. Let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Now many of you who've been on the Friday's pastor's class for the last couple of meetings or on Wednesday nights for the last uh, couple of Wednesday nights save this last one, you've heard me say this and I'm going to say it in in this larger context this morning. You never, ever place a man's name and nomination for an elder or deacon in hopes that this will make him or encourage him to be more involved in the church. If this passage, verse 10, tells us anything, it tells us this, that a deacon, and I can argue this for elders as well, a deacon whom you would wish to, a man whom you would wish to nominate to be a deacon must already be being a deacon. See, just laying hands on, as Spurgeon once said, empty hands on empty heads make empty ministers. You're not, we're not going to, we will not produce a deacon through some order, some measures of the church. Only God makes deacons. He's the one that puts the gifts in them. He's the one that gives them the desire, the aspiration to be pursuing this noble task as with the elders. And when he does that, our God's not a God of confusion. He's not going to have his people sitting around groping in the dark as it were saying, well, I don't know who to nominate. I guess I'll, I'll just draw a name out. And No. 
You look around the streets, and I told you last week, look across the aisles. Be here on midweek during the dinner times and, and during the times afterwards. Be here on Sunday night. Observe who's here, who's serving, who's doing, and say, you know, there's, there's so-and-so. He's already doing these things. He's, he's serving the physical needs. He's concerned about the physical needs. He's, he's, he's already been tested. He's already proven himself to be blameless. I'm going to nominate this man. He has to be tested, proved first. That is, he's already an example to us. He's an exemplary leader. He's setting an example for us to follow. And that's the example in service. They're going to be serving us. But I said that he'd be setting an example for us to follow, and that tells us in an indirect way that deacons will be leaders. Now, I want to say that unfortunately in the PCA today, there are people who are trying to contradict this and say, no, deacons aren't leaders. They're not to be followed. They're not to be obeyed. Acts chapter 6, verse 3 says... The apostles' instruction was to choose men from among yourselves who are full of the Spirit and of wisdom that we may set them over the task. We may appoint them to the task. As the New American Standard puts it so so wonderfully and literally, that we may put them in charge of the task. In other words, they've been put in charge of something. Now I'm going to ask you, if you're in your workplace and someone says, I'm going to put you in charge of this. And then you turn around and say, okay, I'm in charge of doing this. I've worked out a scheme of how we will do this. I'm going to delegate this so that it can all be accomplished. And they go and they start delegating so it can all be accomplished. The task can be accomplished because they're in charge of it. And somebody says, "Uh, I'm sorry, but I, I don't have to follow you. That'd be ridiculous, wouldn't it? He would turn around and say, I've been put in charge of this. I've been given the authority. I've been, as the English standard says, appointed. That'd be like the president of the United States appointing, as they do, ambassadors. And then the ambassador going and giving a statement and somebody saying, I don't have to listen to you. You're just the ambassador. You were appointed to this. Yeah, he has certain authority because of his appointment. Deacons have authority. They're leaders, but they're servant leaders. That doesn't diminish the fact that they're still leaders and they're to be followed. So you look and you see a man who's serving, who's doing and fulfilling the office of deacon. You nominate him if he's not already serving as a deacon. You nominate him. And what do you want to do? You want to follow him. Here's what we too often do. Oh, he's doing that, and we just kind of stand and watch him do it. But we're supposed to be followers. We're disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ went about doing good, not just forgiving sins. How often does Jesus say, your faith has made you well? How often does he go into a situation and deal with the physical needs of hurting individuals? Who would dare say we shouldn't follow Jesus? 
Likewise, we're to follow our deacons because they're setting an example. That puts a great responsibility on our deacons, doesn't it? To set the example of our Savior before the people. But he gifts them, and they're up to that task. Deacons will be exemplary servant leaders, ministers, when they're spirit-filled and full of wisdom. And that brings us to the third point. Not only deacons minister to the physical needs, deacons are exemplary servant leaders. They're exemplary servant leaders because they're spiritual men. If they're not spiritual men, don't nominate them. If they're not spiritual men, don't follow them. Look what it says here in this passage in verse 9. Deacons must hold the mystery of the faith. Notice, it doesn't say deacons are supposed to sit around and contemplate the mystery of the faith. They're supposed to hold it. They've taken hold of it, and in turn, it's taken hold of them. They're to hold the mystery of the faith. Look at it. The mystery of the faith... They're not sitting around saying, well, I'm not sure if I believe that or if I believe this. I'm not sure if I, I can go along with that or I, I, maybe I'm... No, they hold it with a clear conscience. In other words, men that are going to serve as your deacons have to have already worked through the doctrinal issues. They're to be Bible students. They're to be lovers of God's Word. And they've studied it. They've studied our, our, our constitutional documents, the confession and catechisms, and they say, yes, this is what I believe. This is the way I want to do my ministry. I want to serve the physical needs of the people in keeping with God's holy word. They're spiritual men. Again, as Acts 6 says, they're to be full of the spirit and of wisdom. That's full of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom that comes through the spirit as he teaches them his perfect word. They hold to God's word faithfully. They're spiritual men. And by the way, please don't ignore this fact. They are men. Oh, well, you know, sometimes men means just mankind, you know, man and women. You know, we have that word brothers, brethren in the Bible, and that's for man and woman. And I know. There's a word in the Greek that's for mankind in general. It's anthropoi. We get anthropos. We get anthropology from that. But that's not what this word is. When it says down here, let deacons each be the husband, the man of one wife. When the apostles told the church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 6 to choose from among yourselves seven men, that's not anthropos. That's not anthropoi. That's andres. We get... Man, male, from that. It's not female. It's not neuter. It's masculine, 100% masculine. You say, well, that seems a bit arbitrary on God's part. Women could do some of the things deacons do just as well. God's God. I'll just put it simply. God does everything right. God argues for men in office leadership on the basis of, you can look in 1 Timothy 2, you look in this passage here in chapter 3, go to Paul's writings to the Corinthians, he argues for it on the basis of created order. God does everything in an orderly fashion. And listen to me, folks. 
God's certainly not going to author confusion in his own household. Now, let's go back to the point about women being able to do some things deacons do just as well as any man could do. That's not even an argued point. That's why our book of church order says that the session can even choose godly men and women to assist the deacons in doing some of their work. That's the reason this session has told the deacons, look, you have the responsibility to delegate your work. We don't expect you ten men to do everything deacons are supposed to do, but you're in charge of it. You've been appointed over it. That means you go, you stir up one another to loving good deeds. You go and stir up membership, men and women, to help you, to follow you, to serve alongside of you. When the deacons are doing that, there'll be no room for women or other men to complain that there's nothing for them to do in the church. The only complaint would be, I don't get to get a title, and that's sin. If that's the issue, and I suspect it is in our culture, in our egalitarian culture, our desire, more often than not, is to have titles rather than to serve. Folks, I saw this in banking. Disgruntled teller, we, we would make them head teller, didn't change anything, they'd be happy. Less money, more title, happy. Explain that to me. Except our culture promotes titles. Everybody, have you noticed? Everybody today is a doctor. And if you're not one, I can give you the name of two or three ministers you can write, and when they respond, they'll address you as doctor whoever you are. And you can just hang that on the wall and show people you're a doctor. Now, I'm not saying, I'm just saying that as an example that we've gotten carried away with this thing and it's eaten right into the church. It's infiltrated the church to where we all think, well, they, I, I, I'm only going to do something if they give me a title or if they pay me to do it. Deacons are exemplary servant leaders. They're spiritual men. Let me read for you just quickly. The vows that I read for you and we worked through more carefully last week with elders, but I wanted to do it this way this week and come to the end and read the vows again. The same vows that are taken by our elders are taken by our deacons. And these vows will remind you and show you just what we believe deacons are supposed to be. They're to be these spiritual men. They're to be these exemplary servant leaders. They're to be people who are caring for the the sheep of this household. First vow they have to answer in the affirmative is, do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as originally given to be the inerrant word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Your deacons must believe God's word and practice it. Second, do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith and the catechisms of this church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? It goes on to say, and if you change your beliefs, do you vow that you will tell the session about it? In other words, they had to be men of integrity. We see that in these. Their men must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine. Let them be tested first. They are to be those who are above reproach, in other words. They're to believe that the Bible is so clear, so perspicuous, that it can be summarized in documents such as Westminster. 
that they can say to the world, I believe the Bible, God's holy word, inerrant, infallible. And you know what? It's so clear on everything, everything concerning faith and life that we've been able to summarize those doctrines right here in the Westminster Confession of Faith and Catechisms. We believe God's word. We believe it can be spoken to you clearly. Do you approve the form of government and discipline of Presbyterian Church in America in conformity with the general principles of biblical polity? They have to believe that the offices of elder and deacon are the two offices God's given the church and that they are responsible for portraying the gospel to the soul and to the body of this church and for carrying out the work of the Lord. Fourth, do you accept the office of deacon in this church and promise faithfully to perform all duties thereof and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your life and to set a worthy example before the church of which God's made you an officer? In other words, they have to believe they're called to be a deacon. Granny didn't call them. Mama didn't call them. The the, the desire for, for power and whatever else comes, didn't call them, but God called them. They desire to serve as deacons. Fifth, do you promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord? In other words, they're not lone rangers. Sixth, do you promise to strive for the purity, peace, unity, and edification of the church? Do you see there, these men have to be spiritual men, godly men. Doesn't it sound to you like deacons or men who follow Christ? I said that a couple of times at least. We see the compassion of Christ most clearly portrayed in the church today through the office of deacon. Doesn't it sound like deacons have to be men who follow Christ, who imitate Christ? Our Savior served. He ministered to all. Our Savior was an exemplary servant leader. Our Savior was an intensely spiritual man. Indeed, He's the God-man. We have a wonderful Savior who saved us body and soul, and He's gifted men as elders and deacons to serve us in body and soul. Do you ever just stop and think about that? How much the Lord loves us? He didn't just save us and leave us out there to fend for ourselves. He didn't just save us and leave us to figure out this thing on our own. He saved us, put us in the household of faith, and then gave us shepherds over our souls and our bodies to take care of us. And we're supposed to know His voice and the voice of those He sends after Himself. So this month, as you members of Covenant have the privilege and opportunity to place men's names in nomination or place the names of men in nomination, I should say, who will promote the salvation of the body and the soul and promote the welfare of the body and the soul, you have a great privilege. You have a great responsibility. You've seen enough, I think, last week and this week to see that God has gifted men. He places men in our midst. Let me answer a question. Somebody says, well, how many elders do we need? As many as God gives us. How many deacons do we need? As many as God gives us. No more and no less. Don't you think God knows well how many elders it will take to take care of your souls? He knows all things. Right, children? Catechism tells us that. 
Don't you think he knows how many deacons it'll take to, to rightly and wonderfully care for our physical needs? He does. He's already put them in our midst. We need to observe them, mark them out, recognize them, follow them, imitate them. Pray to God this week for elders and deacons. Pray for your elders and deacons. Study his word so that you know his heart about this topic as we've just, just scratched the surface last week in this. Let's trust the Lord in this. Father, we thank you for elders and deacons. We thank you for caring for us and giving us all that we need in body and soul. Both salvation and then sanctification, nurturing care of our souls and bodies through these two offices. Father, we pray for these men who already serve us well. We pray for those who may join their ranks this year and ask that you would, would cause us to grow this year spiritually and numerically so that we can better exemplify your salvation to this lost world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this audio sermon from the pulpit of Covenant Presbyterian Church. These sermons are provided for the edification of church members who wish to hear the sermons again, and for those who are providentially hindered from attending our services. We believe the Bible teaches there is no substitute for faithful attendance to worship and membership in a Bible-believing evangelical church. If you are in the East Tennessee area, we encourage you to visit our church in Oak Ridge. If you reside elsewhere, we encourage you to seek out a good church in your area. For help in doing so, or if you have any other questions or comments, please contact us at cpcsermons at gmail.com. Again, you may learn more about us by visiting our website, www.covenant.pca.com. Blessings to you.